Rentless is taking on the broken rental market, aiming to get 1 million homes into community ownership in 10 years by scaling up community land trusts. It's better for everyone. Tenants get greater control, security of tenure and a financial stake, while landlords get a passive low risk asset. We're starting with the £60 billion UK rental market before expanding to the $800 billion Anglophone market, which, unlike other global markets, is very homogenous. To get it started, we've got 250k in property investment to build a pilot, and we're working on a partnership with the Housing Cooperative Trade Group to deploy their members 500 million in cash. Thank you. Yeah, you know. It's your boy. I started out on the pavement Bitch, you thought I wouldn't make it Wondering why you ain't did it? Cause you only work in that day shift Yeah, success is contagious We winners on regular basis A lot of y'all getting mad, huh? Like how we do it from the basement I ain't been getting no sleep uh, Lately I'm playing for keeps uh, Lately I'm out on these streets Been talking to God Right, and welcome back to another episode of the Potent Podcast A podcast dedicated towards people motivating all of you listeners to go that one step further in your lives. I'm your host, Takura, and today I'm joined by a fantastic guest. He's the founder or co-founder of Rentless, an exciting startup which helps, which allows clients to build ownership through in their homes. He has an enormous passion for design, which I'll get him to explain in a few seconds, and in, in his, and how it can positively impact the world. He's a fantastic public speaker, and I had the pleasure and honor of getting to know him during our time at university as the Enactus presidents of our respective <laughs> universities. So I am, without further ado, I'm really excited to announce and welcome Ben. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, lovely to be here. Exciting, man. It is, cool. It's been a long time. This is actually recording 2.0. Uh, the last time we, we, we recorded, you know, a lot has transpired and a lot of improvements and things have happened. So, you know, it's always good to catch up with you and record your episode today. Yeah, of course. Looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome, man. And, you know, I'd, we'll jump straight into it. And without further ado, you know, for, for the for the listeners who are listening in right now, can you please tell us, you know, a bit about yourself, you know, where you're from? what you're currently doing and, you know, your hobbies, what you get up to in your free time. Sounds great. So I am from a place just south of London by Gatwick Airport, if anyone knows it. And I went to university in Loughborough where I met uh, Takura when we were presidents doing Enactus together. Enactus is a social enterprise startup um, type community. And then after that, I went on a placement year. I went to Brussels for six months to work on some human factors and UX challenges of a company that was uh, helping to save lots of water from municipal buildings. Then went to work on communication between tradespeople in London at another startup, then worked for the government briefly. And now I am here starting the startup, quit my job in December, been working on it since the beginning of January. And what we're aiming to do is to get a million homes into community ownership in 10 years. That's the big ambition in terms of how we do that. It's that we've set up a quite flexible structure to bring community land trusts into the light. There's instead of sort of something that's very unique between different projects, which is what's happening at the moment, what we're going to do is have very standardized community land trusts 
then go to the existing cooperatives and ask them for cash to start out. We're, we're working on that partnership now. Um, and then to landlords, to pension funds, to insurance funds, and then work up our way to get more capital for more property and then get everyone the benefit of a community-owned home. And we see those benefits as being about being able to control your home. There's no one to tell you that you can't put pictures up. There's no one even to tell you that you can't refurbish your kitchen, um, that you have a greater security of tenure, no Section 21, no fault evictions, like you can stay there as long as you want, as so long as you pay your rent like a homeowner, and you get a financial stake in the property, which grows every month that you pay rent. And when you move out, that gives you a nest egg to be able to do whatever you want, have financial security and go forth type thing. Awesome. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. And I think it's, it's, it's the first, I can't say it's, it's the first time it's happened, but obviously it's the first time I've heard somebody I know that's obviously started um, a, such a massive project, uh, which is going to help people in the long run, kind of channeling your your your, your inner inactus in there and, and plugging it into your business, uh, <laughs> which is obviously uh, vital for everyone. Like, um, and I love how you broke it down and how it all works. And you got technical as well. And I'm guessing for 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 now, yeah, your focus is the UK. But would you say you and your business have any futures like to expand to other countries? Yeah, interestingly, the Anglophone, the English speaking countries, are pretty right. much the only countries with housing crises. Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, etc. They have through a mixture of lots of public housing and lots of cooperative housing managed to stave off the stuff that we've got at the moment where a house costs 10 times your average income in the UK, 12 times if you're in London, nobody can afford to buy. It's a massive transfer of wealth from young working people to old retired pensioners who tend to own much more property. But what happened in Germany and Denmark and so on was that property is perpetually affordable, that you have renters who will live in a place for 20 years renting and then move on to another place and take their kitchens with them. Like it's a completely different attitude to living in a home. It's a housing as a service rather than housing as a speculative asset. And because it's housing as a service, it's a lot cheaper than when you're taking part in this Ponzi scheme to drive asset prices up further and further and further that as soon as you get on the property ladder, you might be okay because you're on the Ponzi scheme, but you're messing up the next generation as well. So in the UK, Rent is paid to a tune of about £60 billion pounds per year. Um, we have about 20% um, of the UK population are renters. Most of the rest are owner-occupiers, but there's some social rent in there too. But that's a £60 billion pound market. Across the whole Anglosphere, um, the UK, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and so on, it's more like £800 billion. And unlike other markets... It's entirely homogenous. But if you if you go to the solar panel market and say it's a trillion pound solar panel market um, over the world, it's like, yes, but you've got to build the supports for the panels. You've got to build all of the different technical functions of the panels themselves. You've got to distribute and sort all of them out. You've got to mine the materials. Like the list of things that you've got to do is very long. But with renting, it's a very short list. It is a tenant pays a landlord for the right to live in a place. That's it. There are other complications around management and and insurance and contents cover and on all these kinds of things. But the core transaction of I pay you to live here is exactly the same across $800 billion worth of global market. That's what gets us really excited because 
That means, in theory, we can build an organization that solves for that transaction, that makes that transaction 10 times better than any, what anyone else is offering. And because it's the same transaction across this $800 billion market, we can take a decent percentage of that market. Oh, that's fantastic, man. And that's, that's pretty exciting to hear um, how, it all, how, how all of those aspects fit in. Um, I think the, the first thing I want to I pick out was like the housing in, in, like you said, in other Anglo-Saxon countries, the likes of Germany, Denmark, what, what, what. I, I've, I've got a, a sister who lives in Germany and she says, um, she says to me every time she's moved, you know, she's taken her kitchen with her. So if I was to, to, to move there, and then find a place like I, I get my kitchen. And then when I'm done living there, I basically move with everything, my kitchen, washing machine, dryer, all of that stuff, like out of the flat. Like for me, it was like a mind blowing. Like I was so used to the UK way of, okay, I pay rent, I've got access to a kitchen, um, washing machine, all of those things. But there's, like you said, it's, 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 it's far, a far easier or smoother transaction in mainland Europe, European countries when it comes to the whole idea of renting. And yeah, it, in the UK, man, there's a lot going on and it's, it's, it's so high in terms of prices. But like, like you explained with the, the solar panel example, like you can say that the market is this big, but then there's so many stuff, like it's, it's an iceberg, wouldn't you say? Like there's so many stuff, there's so much stuff beneath the surface that needs to happen before you can actually say, now we're going to take advantage of the, of the market uh, whether people, their clients who want solar installed in their homes, farms, all that stuff, like you need to get all the other things done first before mm. you even get to that point. So yeah, that's quite interesting. And the fact that you guys are in such a good position now to, to get yourself, you know, a decent amount of the market share and also help people, you know, also get a stake in, 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 in they, they kind of get in a return on the investment. Like eventually if they choose to like move and, move to another another form of accommodation so you know this is quite inspiring and i think uh, the thing is like with with information a lot of people don't know so i guess the next thing would be to find out where people can get in touch with you and your company and how um you know how they can reach you you know websites social media email addresses you know please please help me in, in sharing that yeah thanks so our website is rentless.co r-e-n-t-l-e-s-s dot c-o um, we're on all of the social media sites at that handle, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter mainly. And I'm, my name is Ben Dunflores, so I tweet under that as well. And yeah, email me at ben at rentless.co if you're interested, especially if you're interested in being a tenant or, um, for some of maybe the older listeners listening to this, if you're interested in investing in us. Um, as a property investor, we can offer, well, we are offering market rate returns. We don't think that we can build a global business that moves billions of dollars worth of property from private sector into community sector without offering market rate returns. I chat to so many people in this co-op sector that say stuff like, um, we're going to change the world. We're going to solve the housing crisis. And then they say, well, how are you going to do that? We're going to get landlords to donate their property. Cool. Like, but have you tried? How many people are going to be willing to do that? And so we're not going to be able to fight the markets. We're going to work with the markets. Um, and it's not going to be that hard a battle, I don't think, uh, as when we're talking on these scales, of course. But there are trillions of pounds worth of what is called liability um, funds. 
These are pension funds and insurance firms that have to pay out a certain amount of money that they have committed to, i.e. the liability, in a very long time. So what they're looking for are long-term index-backed returns at very low risk. Um, stuff that's going to help them beat inflation, they're not going to lose their clients' money. And then when the clients come back to them in 20, 30 years' time and say, hi, can I have my pension, please? Or hi, I've crashed my car, can I have my insurance money, please? But they're going to have it on hand and they're going to be able to do it. And they're going to be able to meet their financial conduct authority regulations to be able to meet those demands. Property is a really good thing for that. Rent goes up with inflation every year. The housing market, really unstable. It swings up and down like nobody's business. But the rental market stays almost perfectly level. It rises by, well, inflation. We can chat about the, the Georgist and the economic reasons why that happens, but it rises by inflation, and that means that pension funds and liability funds really like it, which means that they will give you money at relatively low rates. So if we can get up into the 70, 100 million, billion type territory, then we can get large amounts of money from corporate bonds at low rates, which will let us um, buy lots more property. And because the, serv the that money is at a relatively low rate, servicing that debt is relatively cheap. So tenants can pay slightly lower rent than they might be doing with market rate. Um, this is a different way to how previous ones have done it. Most, buy, most landlords in the UK are buy-to-let landlords. Um, they own 80% own fewer than 10 properties. And those landlords have very high equity amounts, which we can't have, unfortunately. They have all of their savings, they, which they put into a property, and then they get another usually 50 to 75% um, from a mortgage. And then that property grows in value. They might remortgage that and buy another property and so on until... Well, some of them get up to 10, but there's very few institutional landlords in the UK. And that means that the quality of service can be quite poor often because you've got a bunch of relatively older people, some of them well into pensioner age, some of them who, are, who bought this 10 years ago when their health was fine and now their health is maybe less fine, um, who are still trying to manage the operations of this, but crucially don't see themselves as landlords. They see themselves as property investors and the tenants are kind of an aside to that. Not all landlords, of course, like my first year university landlord, sorry, second year, was brilliant um, and responded to everything, drove up for an hour when everything, whenever anything went wrong. He was a really, really great landlord because he saw himself as a landlord and not as a property investor. So what we'd like to do is to offer all of those property investors who just happen to own a house that somebody lives in, um, all those property investors can instead have a safer asset that is higher returns, that is part of our portfolio, that we can then offer a decent home to tenants using that money. Because it's one of those situations where everyone is acting according to the incentives that they've been given. There's no one being evil here. There's a few people being indifferent. And especially up north, there's a few people being very, very close to evil, but everyone is just acting towards their incentives. Regulation hasn't been strong enough to stop them, and government incentives have been very large to get people into investing in property. But now those incentives have come to an end. Government tax incentives, the mortgage relief, um, and has all come to an end now. And so landlords are really struggling and people don't really talk about that. But I think that's a missed opportunity because as much as I love the tenants, 
we're not going to be able to buy this amount of property to give to the tenants using their capital, because by definition, they don't have that much capital, but landlords do. And if landlords are getting a bad deal from being landlords, then what we can do is transfer that property around, get it into community ownership and provide a better service to landlords to incentivize them to do that. And in so doing, make more decent, more affordable homes for tenants. Awesome. Amazing, man. And I, I love, I love again, how you've given a, a very detailed and technical answer on that aspect. And obviously a lot of this mainly focuses in the UK. So for those who are in the UK listening in, you know, take notes, uh, and, and also get in contact with Ben when it comes to uh, community ownership. And also if you are an angel investor or property investors out there, you know, this could be a great opportunity for you, uh, to maximize. Um, I guess you, like you said, like a return on investment, um, and, you know, go from a certain kind of bad deal to, you know, sort of a, a good deal as well. So, um, I think, I think that's important to, 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 to note with the whole aspect and then how things have been set up. And yeah, I can, I can, I can vouch for that. Like how it's for, for me, sometimes, you know, when I lived in, in Middlesbrough and, 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 um, Stockton and Tees, like the rents that they would charge. It's it's close to um it's like especially if you're near university it's close to like the London rates uh which is like close to a thousand I I don't know obviously now I haven't been in the UK for the last three years like that rent could have shot up significantly because obviously living the 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 gas all the extra expenses bills and all it that has. kind of shoots up everything so. Yeah, I, I can only imagine like what it's like. But, you know, I think it's a good thing you've also mentioned where people can get in contact with you and where the opportunities are and how everyone can, you know, it's, it's, it's a win-win for everyone. You, you, your organization wins and property investors win and also the tenants win in their own way as well because they're earning a bit of equity from each time they pay rent. So, you know, that's a massive, massive thing that, you start, that you've started now. So that's, that's amazing. I don't think we, we, we managed to cover what you do in your free time. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Um, part of that is because I don't have that much free time at the moment. Oh, but, man. Um, at, at the moment, sort of, I've, I spend most of my free time with my girlfriend um, or with with friends. Um, my, my best friend's having a housewarming party tomorrow, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be everyone from um, across, like, people who I haven't seen since uni, people who have yeah lost kind of lost touch with and people who have stayed in touch with the whole time so yeah really looking forward to it kind of also a a case study in in rents because he's got a beautiful flat in west hampstead that he's paying an awful lot of money for um but it is beautiful and i think that's perfect for me because i get to go and have parties in it and not have to pay for it so that's um <laughs> my life but yeah no, tonight going to the tate modern uh, late which are the set of museum lates, if you're in London or ever around London, are a really great thing to go to. Often one day a month, um, the museums will throw open their doors in the evening. It will be more interactive, more, um, there's usually workshops, chats with the artists, chats with um, people who've made things like engineers or designers or um, people around it. They have installations and it's all for one night only. So the, the Victoria and Albert Museum of Design and Craft and Engineering does it, the Tate the all the galleries in East London have a end have a Thursday night one so they're a lot of fun um and yeah really recommend them
that's what I'm doing this evening. Awesome, man. And they're glad to hear that. And uh, I think if you ever, uh, obviously, this is um, uh, just for, for, for the people who are in the Northeast, Middlesbrough specifically, there's a, a art facility or art museum called MIMA. If you ever get a chance to go there, like, um, I don't know if you guys, like when you love, but no, you never came up to Teesside. Like MIMA is basically what you described, like everything is there. Artists will be present. Um, they can talk you through their art, what inspired them and all that stuff. And yeah, it, it, for me, when I went there, like it was an eye-opening um, uh, visit. It's, it's, it's what kind of got me into art or arts and crafts, as, as, as they would say. I'm never, I'm never, I was never a good artist. Like, you know, when, when you're in high school, like, that's a funny story, but like in high school, I was terrible at art. But like, in terms of admiring and supporting other people's art, you know, that I'm, I'm very good at that, you know. So <laughs> taking, taking like um, one area I'm not good at and kind of flipping it into a positive. So that's, that's what I kind of did, I'm done with that. But I've kind of got off track. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we'll move on to the next question as well, Ben. Like, uh, I know you mentioned um, this, this, this um, rent list is probably like one of your your many passions. But I'm, I'm curious and I'm pretty sure the listeners all are uh, like curious to hear, like, what are your other passions as well? And what do you love most about those passions as, as you probably have plenty, plenty of them? Um, I'm one of those really lucky people who happens to have their passion be profitable. Um, and I know most people aren't in that situation, and I know it makes a slightly boring answer to this question, but um, the things that I am doing day to day, I am doing because I love them and because I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And the sort of the passions that I have around that are all kind of related to that. I've had to drop a few of them and I don't regret it, but I, I made a couple of card games um, over, over COVID. I've um, designed um, video games for that was for a competition rather than like actual real stuff. But in terms of real stuff, it's it's mostly been around design and craft and businesses and um, enactors and the idea that if you design a business well enough, it can do a lot of good. And so that's been what I've been working on recently. In terms of other passions that I'm actually doing right now, that's the main one. I think that a startup needs a lot of focus and I am excluding pretty much everything that isn't um, my friends, my girlfriend, and my family. And everything else is being laid by the wayside. And it's going to be like that for the next, hopefully, 10 years. Because that's how long it's going to take to, to build something meaningful here. And I might not be with Rentless for all of those 10 years. Who knows how good I'll be as a CEO because I've never done that before. Um, I hope I'll be good at it. I'll do everything that I possibly can to be good at it. But one doesn't know until they've got there, right? But hopefully I'm part of this for at least 10 years. And over that time, I'm going to be involved in four things. My, the startup, my friends, my girlfriend, and my family. And that's it. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's a, that is that is that is that is true, man. I I think you know to 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 testify to that, like starting something that is going to be meaningful is going to take a lot of time, uh, a lot of your energy, and uh, a lot of the time, other things that matter to you as well are going to take a hit. But like you said, like 
even though they are taking a hit, I think you, there's a positive too that you've managed to find a way to dedicate time to spend time with uh, friends like you're, you're going to do soon, um, your girlfriend and also your family as well. So, you know, it's, it's not a complete like 0% of my time is going towards like, like friends, family and, 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 um, and your, and your, and your girlfriend, but like you've managed to find a way of dedicating some time to them so that they know that Ben is still with us. He's not hundred percent like under, under, underground, like, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think it's, 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 it's important to also recognize that a lot of the things you're doing, I think would it be fair to say that design is your main foundation and like, that's where all your creativity and, and, and how you've come up with the process of building something uh, solid and sustainable has come from, would you say that design is the main core, core part of that in your thinking? Uh, yeah, um, I'd say that, but part, partly that is because design has such a broad definition that you can feasibly call anything design. Like I was chatting to someone who called themselves a legal designer because they designed legal forms to make something happen. And yeah, that's a design. Just instead of making a chair, you make a set of contracts and then you can sit on a chair and you can use these contracts to do whatever you want to do these contracts for. Like the, the idea of design as intentionally making something beautiful, where intention, making and beautiful are all up for discussion, is something that we can sort of get into the, into the theory and the abstraction of. But in terms of the practice of it, it's something that I love because it feels like well, to take a bit of a tangent, I am interested in leverage in the finance world. That is the amount of money that you put in, the amount of debt that you can get for it, therefore the amount of stuff that you can buy. And when a bigger thing increases in price um, as a percentage, that is higher in absolute terms. If you can pay back your debt as, as less than, than that, then the amount of capital you put in, the return on capital employed, it's called, can be very, very high. Because say you, you have £100, £100 that increases at 5%, you get £105 after a year. But if you have £100 and you get £200 in, in debt, you have a £300 asset. That £300 asset increases by 5%. And then you've made £15. You pay back the debt, maybe with seven, seven of those pounds. You've still made £7 instead of £5. So that's leverage. But you also get leverage in a productivity startup type approach of what is the amount of stuff that one person can do? Like when we were, before the agricultural revolution, when we were all peasants, um, one person had a spade and they could dig a trench. Great. Love it. Then post-industrial revolution, one person had a digger and they could dig like a whole mile of trench in a day instead of a meter. And that now that we've got stuff like um, automated diggers, one engineer can program a fleet of trench digging drones, but not like drones that you'd ever see them before, drones that are the size of a house that that trundle along a construction site, it can program a fleet of them, set the bounds to them, and then it'll just dig hundreds of miles worth of trenches a day. Um, and taking that analogy to the startup side is that me as a designer, as someone who moves pixels around basically, if I stick to chairs and work in the real world, I can build um, I can build a certain amount. I can build actually very little. If I use pixels, I can build something and push it to everyone in the world instantly when I need to. So that gives me a huge amount more leverage. 
But when I work with services and the ideas and processes that drive a business, I can not only create a, a, a function that reaches everyone, but I can reach way beyond that function. The, the thesis behind Rentless, the, the, like behind the startup, is that by designing a company intentionally, one can use that company as a tool to achieve market outcomes. The idea of Rentless is that we can shift the entire housing market by getting a critical mass of homes into community ownership and giving everyone an alternative. And if everyone has an alternative, then they can demand more of what already exists. That's the thesis. That's the idea that we're building a service that can reach beyond just itself. If, I'm, if I build an app and I push it to everyone, everyone has a great time while they're on the app, but it doesn't affect anything else. But if I build a service that is designed to change the stuff around that service, for example, a um, service to get lots of property into community land trusts, then we can show people an alternative and that alternative can drive change in a much wider way. It's like a theory of change if anyone from an actress is listening. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely, man. Oh, man, that, that, that's true, man. Uh, and and I, 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 I love it again, man. Like, I, I'm really enjoying it so far in, like, um, how you've managed to take elements and experiences from multiple sides and obviously change them and, and help them to benefit yourself. And I, I guess the whole concept, the concept of leverage can be obviously interchanged between whatever somebody's working on, whether it's like you said, like operating a business or even somebody who's still studying. If, if you, if somebody who's, cause I, I've, I've also had a, a thing. I think some people are using my podcast as a way of um, learning English. So, you know, they could be listening to the vocabulary that we're using and then trying to leverage that and see how it's used and then try and improve their way of speaking uh, the English language. But I've also gone on a tangent as well, but that, that's kind of like, Interesting. from what I, yeah, I mean, you you basically uh, this is like um I, I would say it's like a a seminar on, on 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 learning, which is kind of also the the synopsis of of this podcast, like to learn from one another. So obviously, I'm learning more about how um how rentless operates and how like the 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 the, the functionality of it, but also well how it got into how how it can be transferred into other areas as well. But that also kind of I'm curious, and that branches into the next question about um, inspirations. And I want to find out, like, for me, who would you say are your inspirations? Because from, from the way you're speaking and the way you, you break things down, man, I, it, it sounds like you've got plenty of inspiration. So I'm, I'm, curious, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing, like, who would you say uh, your inspirations are? Yeah, my probably, yeah, my inspirations, one of them would be, probably Paul Graham. I really enjoy the essays that he's written. May or may not apply to Y Combinator, but like really enjoy his writing style and the way that he breaks ideas down. Um, there's a lot of essayists like him that I enjoy. People like Scott Alexander, Eric Holm, Henrik Carlsen, mostly Substackers actually. Um, this didn't intend to be a plug for Substack, but go read Substack. Anton Hose from Age of Invention. Most of my, I guess most of those inspirational people for me are are people who write well um people who can portray the ideas that they've got in a way that you can understand like that's so intuitive that you feel like you came up with them while reading it um and i guess some of the some of the past ones as well like um george orwell or um william blake um but 
There's also a few authors in there, people like um, Ian M. Banks and uh, Ursula Le Guin and Ada Palmer, like utopians, people who sort of thought there can be a better future and let's write about it. Um, and Banks particularly does something very, very clever, which he was a socialist um, and a liberal. And he presents a world which is the kind of as far as liberal thought can go. And something that I didn't notice that had to be pointed out to me in, a, in another essay about it is that what he writes is about a world that is very, very good at reproducing itself by being nice to people. And But the, the being nice to people is a strategy, a meme in the Dawkins sense that reproduces itself and that it doesn't have any fixed borders. It doesn't have any real shared ideology. All it has is this culture. And that's all that you can call it. So the culture is all it is. It doesn't have a military. It has independent vessels that can do whatever they want, bound by this culture. Every um, habitat is a self-contained unit that is, to be honest, different from all of the other habitats, except that it is bound by this culture. And it was it's kind of like a meditation as well on the power of culture and the power of liberalism to consume everything around it. So those I find really interesting. Um, my friends and family and girlfriend, of course, um, I found out recently that my grandmother was one of those secretaries who just happens to program in COBOL. So that was a very interesting conversation when they were saying that, oh, all of these abstract high level languages are so easy, anyone can do it. And of course, they were talking about Java and C, um, whereas now we're messing around in React going, ah, how do we do this? Um, so that was very impressive. No, th this was, this is the same um, family. My, my abuelos, my, my grandfather on that side, um, finished his corporate career, retired, and then taught calculus at the local university, um, the best university in Mexico, to fill his time. So I, I find them very impressive, and they've been a big guiding light. But yeah, it's been the es essayists, authors, and family who are the real um, influences for me. Awesome, man. Uh, wow. And, and quite a number of them. You know, obviously, first of all, condolences on, on, on your grand on your granddad. Um, and he, oh, they're still alive. You know, Oh, right. I thought, I thought he was talking like he was, he had passed on. <laughs> oh, my bad. No, no. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, like that, that's, that's quite interesting. Like, uh, especially with the, with the, with the writers and how everyone, like you've mentioned, who, who's very good at, um, telling a story. And in, I, I wanted to, to, to kind of cut, cut you off, like during your, your answer, but like how people kind of engage the, the readers or even listening if they're using audiobooks or whatever, like how to engage them and take, the the listener or the reader on a journey with them and paint a, a quite a, a vibrant picture of what is happening in the in 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 in, in the book so you know that that's pretty cool um and also shout out to your friends and family and everyone obviously who's who's who's, who's had a positive impact on yourself so you know i, I guess the next the, the next question is is kind of like it, it, it's it's mostly about experiences but like you could talk about one or, or many like feel free but like experiences you've gone through that have shown you that in in, in the world i mean obviously there's a lot of crazy stuff that's happening in the world right now but like what what you've seen that has shown you that positive positivity and positive people still exist in in the world i think that the best example of this is the cooperativists because they haven't had a good decade They've set up maybe two, two or three new housing cooperatives in that time, but they are still going. Like they have a lot of hope, a lot of drive, and they are really committed to doing good. So they're, they're one group. Um, another group in a slightly different way are the effective altruists. Um, I don't know if, 
if you or, or other listeners know them. But their whole idea is that let's do as much good as possible. To do that, let's measure how much good we're doing. They kind of splintered a couple of years ago into the people who are doing that now and the people who are doing that way in the future, like the long-termists. And the long-termists do get, the term that they use is um, Pascal's mugged. The idea that there's Pascal's wager, which was the wager that Pascal made with God. That if God doesn't exist, then oh well, nothing lost if you believe in God. But if God does exist and you don't believe in him, then you might go to hell and that's a bad thing. So don't do that. So you better off believe in God. And this idea of the EAs being Pascal's mugged, as in being demanded at a knife point of an argument that you had to believe in something, is to create a crazy number of future human beings and then say their life is valued the same amount as our lives. Let's do what's best for them. But the problem with that is that it makes it easy to justify pretty much anything that you do by saying, oh, there's a naught point, no, 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 one percent that this improves lives for 10 to the 32 billion humans and that lets you do whatever you want so your your utility there just gets completely out of whack your 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 error margins are order of magnitudes on either side and you can't then do anything so that's my sorry that's a quick rant about long termists but <laughs> for for neo-termists um in the ea space the number of people who care so deeply about doing good and will put all of their resources and time and energy and effort and like that a lot of those can be formidable into this problem is is really inspiring for me yeah absolutely absolutely man and you've mentioned quite a number i think it's it it, it is it is inspiring that uh like you said the corporators firstly like they are working even through the bad times to try and provide a, a service that can help people um you know up and down like obviously the life is up and down, but they've managed obviously to stay the course through the ebbs and flows of it. And then on the second one, man, that was the first time I was actually um, hearing about, you said altruism, is it? So Effective you know, altruists, yeah. Effective altruists. So, you know, understanding how other, how, how people think and, and how they could, you know, kind of navigate their way around things and navigate their way through life. I would say like um, me, me myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and obviously I believe in God. I believe in obviously... Obviously, it's not turning into a, a, a religious podcast episode, but like uh, the the importance, like I think if we, the, the the main thing I'm trying to say is obviously people have beliefs in different things and obviously they're following those beliefs and also, you know, do finding ways to add value to them, you know, either by helping people or spreading the good news or whatever it is. As long as it's got a way of, like you said, like replicating itself in a positive way that, you know, only makes things better, 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 on and so on and so forth. Like the ball keeps rolling. I think that's the key aspect of that. But yeah, I'm learning a lot from you today, man. And this is really, really fascinating. All of the things that that are in your head right now, man, it's, it's, it's actually exciting. So I think the next thing is, I think this is kind of like for, for people um, who are facing challenges uh, right now, but like, how would you say you overcome challenges and handle stress when it comes your way? I'm pretty sure right now in the rentless space, like there's probably a lot going on, but Kiki, can you give us an insight into what you do to help overcome that or manage it? I'm sure you, I'm sure you get guests on here that say similar things, but there's stress that you, yeah. there's challenges that you can affect, challenges that you can't affect. Like mm -hmm. the first one's the easiest to deal with because if you can't affect it, then you can prepare for it usually. So you can make your preparations. 
but after that point it's kind of wait and have faith and make sure that you position yourself in a way that you're not going to be too affected by it but if you can't Mm -hmm. prevent it and you can't change it then there's no point kind of worrying about it directly definitely worrying about the consequences of it that is not something that i'm i'm not saying like if Mm -hmm. if there's a for example if you put in a job application and you don't know whether you're going to get the application or not not worth stressing about it because you can't do anything but before you put in the job application even though you can't control whether they give you the job you can still prepare as best as you can for 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 getting the thing of course Mm -hmm. and like you can still prepare for the eventuality that they don't give you the job so while you're waiting you can still be applying for other jobs for example you can still be building your experience all the rest of it so there's things that you can't affect but that you can prepare for. So then I find preparing for them helps me feel better. And then when I feel prepared, I feel that no stress. For the things that I can affect and that I'm stressed about, for example, right now, there's a whole load of stuff to do about deciding what, where, how, when we're going to get funding for Runless. It's kind of running on itself. So one thing that I'm, I'm a little bit worried about is that it might just kind of run and then we don't make any like active decisions. We make passive decisions about saying yes to things or letting things happen. Um, and then we end up with whatever happens. But I think we can make active decisions. And I think we can make active decisions by making sure that, um, well, we discuss them because discussing them helps us think about them, that we write about them and say, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it, this is how it's going to affect my actions. And I find writing is a really powerful tool for this. I just open up a blank Word document, write down everything that I'm thinking about it, edit it down into what is kind of an essay. And then that usually helps me figure out what I actually think about this thing, whether that's getting funding, whether it's to apply to a job, whether it's building strategy for, for rents or anything else. But like we can make more active decisions by making sure that we know what we're deciding on by writing it down and by refining that writing until we've refined our thoughts down to a point where they make sense and they could make sense to someone who's not us. And then once you've done that and it's still stressful, for example, if it's something much bigger or much more like in terms of personal danger, I've got no idea, to be honest. Like I've got quite a coddled life, as it were, and I don't face that much personal risk, but I don't really know what how one would prepare for like major confrontations and stuff. If it's relationship type stuff and um, talking to people and having really difficult conversations, yeah, I, I can I can do that. But um, I count myself very lucky that I haven't been in a situation of significant personal risk of significant personal harm. Yeah, you and me both, brother. You and me both. So <laughs> absolutely no. I, I think you know taking taking what you said and and then like adding adding a bit of what I think like like you said in the first point. Um, there's certain things that are are pre- like are preventable. Then there are other things that are not preventable, right? Um, and those things that are not preventable, like how prepared are you, and how much have you done to kind of minimize the impact of what what is coming and how it can affect you. So if you can minimize it as much as you can. And then you can kind of take the hit that's going to come anyways, but then obviously you can bounce back from that because you kind of know um, how much you, you're going to get negatively impacted by that. And then obviously how much you need to recover from that. Like it's not one of those things. But on the second one, I think you really shared like a, a, a great example of, of, of the, whole, um, the whole job application thing. Like once you submit the application, nothing is in your control anymore. So you know, you, you prepare the best you can and then you see what feedback you get from that to whether you're, 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 you're for that company or not. I think that's very, very important to obviously be prepared. Um, and then obviously the third thing you talked about, like 
instead of making passive decisions, we make active decisions. And the only way we can do that is uh, communicating and writing it down, like you said, discussing it. Because obviously, if it's if, if it's in, like people are discussing it, it's in people's minds. And obviously, people can come up with, with solutions, potential solutions to that there and then instead of kind of just like being an ostrich, putting your head in the sand and kind of like, we'll see when we get there kind of a thing. But it, it helps in a lot of ways prepare for, you know, what's coming. Like you can't, even even like I'll, I'll use an example of like, let's say an international student wants to move to the UK for, for, for study, right? For instance, um, they can't just magically move to the, the UK to, to study. And obviously they have to get university place. They need to get their funding. They need to, to get the visa. And obviously before they travel, they need to know kind of like how the UK works. Because obviously if, they, if they're coming from a country that's got a completely different system to, to, to how the UK operates, they need to know what what how it happens like for me i i i never I'll, I'll be honest i never really did that but i kind of learned on the go whilst i was here but i think if i was to give advice for future people looking into get into something that they've never gotten into i think doing your research is key you got to know what you're walking into before you actually enter the room so you kind of mentally prepare yourself uh, physically prepare yourself and all that but yeah i think on the last one having difficult conversations i think you know uh, being in places like experience helps like when you have to talk about different difficult topics with let's say families and and then and loved ones and significant others i think experience and practice like going through previous uh, difficult conversations helps with dealing with that particular area me and you both can't talk on the, the whole thing of personal risk so we can't really add much to that or make anything up about that because we've never been in that kind of situation so and i think yeah. that, sorry to interrupt you but i think that yes, in sir. terms of the personal risk point I think it's good to have context in how bad something can be because, mm. uh, and this is something that um, traveling has really helped me with because there are a couple of times when I've done something really stupid and there was a significant amount of personal risk involved. Um, we mm. went to Palermo and um, mm. great. Like it's, it's like 20 quid flights from the UK. Love it. Really recommend it. This old <laughs> medieval city on the North coast of Sicily. It's brilliant. And we went up a mountain that was just next to it. We saw a church in a cave, which was one of the most religious experiences that I've had. And then we walked up onto the mountain. We walked around the mountain. We came down the other side. I realized that I didn't know how to look at contour lines properly. And it ended up being a very steep scramble slash climb slash slide down a large piece of hillside. It was maybe maybe 30 meters straight down. Um, wow. So that was actually terrifying. And we could have died. <laughs> or gotten seriously injured in a place that would have been difficult to reach us. So that was yeah. a very stupid thing to do. And kind of even there, being making backup plans of that and thinking, okay, if stuff does go wrong, what happens? Kind of the being forced to be calm, like, because panicking is not going to help right now. We just need to get down. We need to get back and everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, we'll sort it out. And this is how we're going to sort it out. That kind of makes everything feel much less stressful. Like then if you don't get a job application, it's like, okay, but I'm not going to die <laughs> type thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I love the example, like as, as, as you're doing the, 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 you'd say the hiking and as you're coming down, you're like, okay, we're in a bad situation here, but we, we can't panic. We need to, the main objective is to get like back to level ground, to the ground safely and um effectively and you know taking it one step at a time yeah. and watching your terrain as you walk down so i think that's a, that's a brilliant example as well like if if somebody encounters a, a, a difficult situation like yes it, it's difficult but 
first thing you now have to think, okay, what can I do or who can I speak to in order to like resolve what I'm what I'm going through, you know? So like to 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 add just to add on to that point, I think it's 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 a fantastic example as well. Like, and and I'm glad that you're here to record with me today. Like, <laughs> you're able to me think too. on the spot. <laughs> firefighting at its best but you know you're, you're here and you, you you did well and uh you know I'm, I'm very happy i got to hear that story as well moving on to the next thing when when we when we talk about failure i think like the the general consensus obviously you, you haven't achieved what you want to achieve but like my question for you or to hear your standpoint on it is what do you think are the most valuable things people can take uh from failure that you've learned so I failed at most of the things that I've done. Like my Enactus presidency, we didn't really get anything done. So that was a failure by, well, not doing much. We we tried lots of things and then they didn't succeed. And then it kind of petered out and we lost time and then COVID happened. So like it just didn't ever get up. And I failed like that a few times when I was working on a project called Trove, um, which was about creating a, a distributed library. We got some developers in, we got some grant to use these freelance developers. And they kept saying, we'll be done in two weeks. We'll be done in two weeks. Four months pass and we didn't cut them off well enough. And then eventually we just have to say, no, bye. But we've got an app that's not functional and we can't do anything with it. And we've wasted four months in 4K. So very cheap for developers, but we didn't get anything useful out of it. Mm. And we felt, and I, I was part of a company that failed like that as well. Um, in this construction tech company, what we did was we had a client who was saying, we'll pay you in two weeks. We'll pay you in two weeks. And we were like, they're our best client. They can be our marquee client. They were a big company. And had we got them, we would have been able to topple everyone else like Domino's and, and get everyone else in the construction industry. So it was like, there was a really strong incentive to get these guys. And they were saying that they'd pay us in two weeks. And it was brilliant. And then in two weeks later, two weeks later, two weeks later, six months pass and they do pay us eventually. But by that point, we've run out of money and the other two employees go down to two days a week and I, I head off to do something else. So I think that you can fail actively and you can fail passively. Like you can fail by not doing stuff or you can fail by doing stuff. And I think of those two, always fail by doing stuff because that's the stuff that you learn from. If you fail by not doing stuff, you learn, oh, I should have probably done something there, which isn't very useful. But if you fail by doing stuff, you can say, ah, this failed because I think because this, what had the way that we're going to change our approach is that, the way that we're going to optimize this is this, the way the experiments that we're going to run are those. And that lets you build a feedback loop. And then it's not failure, it's an iteration. Um, and yeah, it gets you from, from where you are to where you want to be. But yeah, always fail actively. Yeah, run before you can walk, figure stuff out on the go, fall down, get up and go on. Don't just kind of like amble in a direction and get blown up by a landmine type thing. Like it's not, it's, there's stuff that you're not going to be able to predict and it's going to hit you. So figuratively, I mean, run straight straight towards the problems, face yeah. them, fail actively, and then go and do the next one. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. I, I think like when, when you broke down failure into two elements of the whole passive and, and active, like obviously we're for active, you know, trying something. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and you know why it doesn't work out or you can get an idea of why it didn't work. And if you want to continue that, you can try a different approach and so on and so forth. But passive, I think, yeah, passive is probably the one that hurts the most because when you could have done something and you did nothing and then nothing, you know, 
you it, things just fall apart on their own. So I think that's that's also a dangerous one that people can fall into without recognizing or realizing. So you know, thank you for yeah, sharing and I those think that's, ones. I think that's the real danger with the passive failure. You don't even realize that it was a failure. It was just oh, that didn't go as well as I hoped it would. No, that failed. Like it's it's really easy to recast that in your mind and protect yourself mm-hmm. when you don't set a goal and say, have I met it or not? They, this is what I said would mean that I met it. This is what I said would mean that I didn't meet it. Like that's binary. But if you say, oh, I'm going to try this out and then nothing happens, you're like, hey, oh, well, but like that, that could have succeeded had you set a fixed goal for yourself instead of setting a kind of yeah, let's see what happens. That's not to say that it works in all cases. Like I think that the the role of playful thinking is really important. The the kind of exploratory, oh, what are we going to do? But it needs to be within a goal driven framework of like, I, yeah. I want to do this thing. How are we going to do that? No idea. Let's go to a whiteboard. Let's do 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 do. Um, rather than just sort of wandering off into the forest for, for the rest of the time. Yeah. No, I think when you mentioned whiteboard, it got me thinking about Enactus as well. And I think <laughs> the, the the ups and downs of Enactus, like I think in, in many ways, Enactus prepares you, uh, for my experience, Enactus prepares you from, for, for some of the realities of, of business. Like if, you, if, you, if you're working in a business where, you know, you're working with different sorts of people, different skill sets. Uh, you try and do things with, you know, with, with either project wise or business partner wise. Sometimes it can, it can, it can, it can go through like, like, like by, by, by some amount of luck and preparedness, you can get through it. And then there's other times where you kind of, it's stop start and like the relationship is rocky with that business partner, with that project partner. And, and then there's other times where like, you know, either either party can I can just reject the idea completely. So it kind of prepares you for that kind of thinking. That in, in business, obviously, you can try one angle; it doesn't work. You can try another, and it's going to be char. What was the pre- 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 correct word? Like the waters are not; they're going to be rough. The waters are going to be really, really rough. Um, and you can either choose to stick with that and then get through to calmer waters, or you can pull out. Or then there's the last one where everything goes as planned. And, you know, you've got a project that's, just, that's operating and all that stuff. I mean, me and you both probably passed through a lot of hurdles. And obviously, we're not going <laughs> to go and, and, and say why, like, some of those hurdles will happen. Some of them were uh, inflicted by ourselves. Others were inflicted by, like, the, the, the things we could, we, we could or could not do at that time within the university, under the universities. I would, I would say what? Under the universities, um guidance i'd say so yeah we'll move on to the next question uh ben and uh, you know I, I think this one will actually kind of help you um think about things a bit more but what would you say um excites you about the future going forward yeah well it's i think a start of is about the future so uh, we're raising money based on a million pound valuation technically that means that i have four hundred thousand pounds I can't do anything with that £400,000. If I could sell that, get £400,000, go buy a house and live happily ever after in the country, probably would. Actually, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd never do that. <laughs> but anyway, um, but what I mean to say is that I cannot access that because that value is based on the work that I will do. This is forward facing. We have bought a house, one house, and put an offer in. Not, it's, it's been accepted, but we haven't actually, it's not ours. We haven't actually transferred documents. So the whole idea of a startup is that the future value of this thing is going to be massive or could be massive. Yeah. So all of that is future work. Like this whole value 
is work that I'm going to be doing in the future. And I think when when starting a startup, it is a little bit like living right now and in 10 years time. You've got to be living in both places at the time. And because we're doing something with land and property and community ownership, like the whole idea of this is that once it's in those community land trusts, it is perpetually in community land trusts, not just for, for 10 years or for 20 years or for the length of time that Google or Amazon or IBM has been around, but forever. Mm-hmm. So we're also, we're thinking in years, decades, and centuries now. To be honest, not thinking very much in centuries, but but thinking on the ideas that this could be an institution that lasts four centuries after growing massively over a couple of decades. I can't speak for the centuries, but over those couple of decades, that is my responsibility. At least it is for now. So that's what I'm looking forward to in the future, building a company that actually makes a meaningful difference for hopefully millions of people across the world. That's amazing. That's amazing, bro. And obviously we're looking forward to supporting that uh, in any small way that we can. And obviously seeing the growth that happens, it's going to be a, a process. It might take a lot of time, but you know, you're building something that's going to last. Like you said, obviously you're not talking about centuries, but it, it probably will last centuries um, on from we built it. And then you've got successes who come in and obviously take you forward as well. So it's 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 something that's a solid project right that's going to add value to people to the community to to future renters and landlords and also people community wide and then as as life progresses you know it's obviously going to get better and better and better as things get better and obviously adapt to how the market and the the, the economies are and you know i think that's probably exciting as well to to see to hear how you get on and obviously, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll, I'll try my best, obviously, to stay in touch, uh, and and then hear how you're getting on, and you know, obviously, congrats on getting the first offer in for the first house. Obviously, you start, you got to start somewhere, um, and then looking forward to to hearing a lot more positive news that comes out of that. So yeah, man, I'm I'm wishing you all the best with that going forward as well. Thank you. The next question is kind of pans into like obviously we're now reaching the end, but like, um. When, when when you're working, right, what helps you stay focused and productive when whilst you're doing like an activity? I use my calendar. I have a tendency to procrastinate. So the night before or the morning of, I put all of the things that I need to do into my calendar. I block them out with how long I think it will take for me. And I have one color for meetings, one color for work, one color for going out on lunch and having a break and going for a walk and stuff. Try to make sure that the colors are in proportion. Um, mm-hmm. And that means that whenever during the day I feel like I'm flagging, I can go and look at my calendar and say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I ought to do this now, shouldn't I? Um, and then I, uh, yeah. And, but that only works if you can break down tasks to the point where you can kind of get your teeth into them. So to break down those tasks, I use a modified user flow map and a user flow map is really simple. You just put all the things that a user does on sort of from left to right. Um, to complete their goal. And mm-hmm. then you down from on each card that you've put in fr- from top to bottom, you put all of the things that make up that thing that you said the user needed to do. So you end up with your mm-hmm. tasks and subtasks. Um, and you go from, oh, I should make a proposal to the cooperatives to ask them for lots of money. And that turns into, oh, I need to s- specify exactly what the legal forms are. To do that, I need to write about all of these different legal forms. I need to mm-hmm. um, specify how the money will be used. This is how the money will be used. These are the spreadsheets that I need to make. These are the like descriptions that I need to do. I need to describe the mission in ways that the cooperatives will understand and like. These are the bits that 
components of that. And then I can put those components or the top bits into my calendar and say, this is what I need to do. I've already done all the thinking. So when it comes to me trying to procrastinate, I can say, no, I can't procrastinate. I know exactly what I need to do. So that's how I do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I can vouch for you on that, on the use of the calendar thing. Um, I think this is a throwback, but like back to <laughs> back to 20, was it, well, not, not 2020 exactly, but like 2019, 2020, especially like the Enactus presidency stage, use of uh, Microsoft Outlook calendar was massive. And my calendar was always packed with something to do. Always packed. Like I remember some members who would come and see that calendar and they were like, is this what a president does? And I'm like, yeah, well, this is what I do. So <laughs> everything was in, was, in, was, was, was in task from 11 until 1, do this, from 1 until 2, eat from lunch, uh, 2 to 3, do something else, 3 to 4, do something else. Five to seven, do something else. And then obviously after eight or nine, go home, eat, do all that. Like, I think that's what's my life. But I think the main essence of what you've said, like there's obviously going to be the main task and then there's going to be subtasks. And for you, in order to do the main task, you need to do the subtasks first. And then once you've completed all the subtasks, you've basically completed the main task. So that's breaking thing you got to do into smaller, uh, manageable or doable tasks. And then doing them one by one until you finally complete the bigger one, which is kind of creating a routine, creating productivity in a sense. And you've kind of got yourself into a routine where you know, okay, this time it's dedicated for this, this time it's dedicated for that and, and all that. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. The next one will kind of get you thinking a little bit. I'm hoping it gets you the next question. But what, what would you say um, are your strongest qualities, Ben? And from the qualities you've mentioned, like which one would you love to like teach someone who's interested or pass down to the next generation? Um, I'd say my strongest quality is that I am curious about things and try to understand things. And I think that is quite easy to say and quite hard to do. Um, and I think to do it requires being able to write well. Um, I think that kind of in the same way that me, I am able to solve fewer maths problems than me plus a pen and paper can. Like, give me a pen and paper and like instantly my performance at doing maths problems improves because I can use that as an external memory. Writing is the same thing, but for strategy and thinking and breaking down problems. Like being able to write well, not in the sense of being able to analyze the three themes behind the Shakespeare play, like in the sense mm -hmm. of what is the point? How am I making it? How am I describing it? And what goes into that point? How can I condense this to a three bullet to three bullet points? How can I expand it to a book? Being able to manipulate ideas like that means that you're able to see when things don't make sense. And having a nose for when things don't make sense, I think is essential to being able to observe and be curious about things because then that lets you go, ah, why doesn't this make sense? And sometimes it doesn't make sense just because nobody has been in a position to break that down before and do it like you're doing. And that means that there's an opportunity. And when there's something like that that doesn't make sense, that's on a big enough scale, that's the opportunity for, for example, a startup. So the things behind a good essayist, someone who you can send into a situation and they can write it up in a way that'll make you laugh and cry and, and feel things about it are the same skills that you need to be an effective founder because they're about finding problems, finding things that don't make sense and finding things that are often absurd. And you can write about them or you can solve them. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely, man. And and, and that, I think it, there's no sort of magic, I'd say, about like, um, well, some people would think, oh, how did you come up with this? But you're like, well, I just wrote it down on the paper. When you now write it down and you physically look at it, you can say, okay, it's now concrete. It's now it's now in an existence. And then obviously you can now think of the next ideas and the next points that you can use to build on that idea. And like you said, on, on the writing aspect, if you know how to write and how to um, formulate everything in a chronological way, that makes sense. It'll help you in terms of documentation, um, drafting documentation for the startup or anything else, really. So I think that's quite um, a, a good skill or good skills, actually. So curiosity and the ability to write for, for the listeners. So if, if your listeners are, have listened to what Ben said, you know, be, be more curious and try to write things down a bit more and even design things like a, a quote unquote design. So draw what you're trying to design on a piece of paper or first before you actually try and design it whether you're an artist or you know an engineer or whoever you are so i think i think that's also beneficial as well so i think the next thing is in terms of skills would you say there's um anything you're looking to learn going forward yeah there are in terms of the skills i would really like to learn more quantitative and uh, coding skills because i've i can feel that that's a lack and if I knew more of those, I'd be a better designer and I'd be a better founder. Um, we don't have a technical person on the team at the moment. We are looking for one. We are looking for a CTO. But being able to talk to the CTO in their language rather than forcing them to take all of their thoughts, package them up for the layperson, lose a whole load of stuff in translation and then relay it to you. Well, being able to just talk both at that high level on shared understanding of the technology is really, really helpful. So I know a bit of CSS. I can I can make a computer do the things that I want it to do. But I'm, I'm not a developer and I find thinking in this particularly the, the algorithmic way, the, the if this, then that, then that, then that type way, reasonably difficult. Um, and I've been, I've been learning more of that thinking, yeah, honestly, just through spreadsheets. Um, but I need to like properly sit down and learn Python. Um, and because there's a lot of things that that would be useful for. Absolutely. Bro, absolutely. So yeah, just to answer your first, your, your first comment on, 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 on learning how to program and code and stuff and thinking logically, I could tell you as an engineer in the, in the beginning, it takes a bit of time to get used to, but as you practice more, you get used to it and you get into the groove of it. And programming languages wise, I have high hopes of learning Python and C++ myself, uh, not only for me, but for my career. So Hopefully that will come to fruition soon, soon, soon. So the final question, what inspiring words would you love to leave with the listeners today who've listened to your episode who are trying to improve themselves? Just do the work. I've read a great Substack article, which I can send you, which if you would like to put in the in the description, um, sure not, I, yeah. I would recommend it. But there's a Substack post, which is called Productivity Advice. And his piece of productivity advice is just do the work. What he does is he um, stops all social media from his modem, from his actual internet router. He gets really, really bored, and then he does the work. And that the only piece of productivity advice that is really useful is just do the work. And as someone who is prone to procrastinating, I needed to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I, I get, I get you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're in a place and you don't want to do things, so you've got to take out all the distractions. And the only thing that's left between uh, le- left is you and the work that you've got to get done. So I can understand that it's very pragmatic as well, man. If you if you do the work, you're not going to worry about it. You're not going to get anxiety about it, and you're going to tick off one thing on the to do list that had to be done going forward. So 
that is the end of the potent podcast episode featuring ben dan flores thank you all for listening and reaching the end of the show i'd like to thank my guest ben for uh sitting down with me and opening up my mind <laughs> educating me and and, and 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 about all these aspects and uh you know thanks ben for for, for joining me on the show of course I had a great time um, it'll be great and speak soon yeah let me know what you're up to and I will keep you updated for my stuff as well absolutely will do will do be sure to follow and share the podcast it is available on Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts YouTube and so many other platforms thank you all for listening in and be well and take care Exceed their limitations, what they perceive, how they challenge my self-belief. It's got me hot and fuming. Never mind, got my love the cupid. Another time to keep acting stupid. There's no time to keep acting ruthless. So I keep them moving. Break bread with those who tuned in. Recognize it's a massive new trend. Analyzing the energy you bring. When you lose a few friends, when this quest trying to cop a few things, then the blaming of the fact that you change. My response is to chuck the I'm backing it up when it's up and it's stuck. I've been trying to rock, nigga. Part of my speech, by the way, my heart on my sleeve. I say a lot of things to the fire. And that's beauty, that's desire. But if you think I still like the fire, then I'll have the sun, I get tired. Yeah, I'll be rocking all day. I made amends with the fact that they came and went So many damn arguments I learned to vent Hoping life will circumvent But goddamn, how much time was spent? Now I truly gotta make some sense And that's purely have some common sense Just to make a dent I need to have tolerance I've been talking about the confidence It's not fading The music stays updated I've got a mission here I don't disappear Don't ask me why I'm not paging I gotta be on top on my savings Like I'm trying to live out in the Caymans It's a long way and I'm patient Expect me to be waiting Maybe on. I'm wrong for putting my faith in what I believe. I'm backing it up when it's up and it's stuck. I've been trying to hit rock. Look at her. my speech, but I'll wrap my heart on my sleeve. Music by Justin Vinyls.